It's Thursday, June 27th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. It's the moment the Democrats have been waiting for. Robert Mueller will testify before two House committees in back-to-back open sessions. It will be a must-see TV event, and it's going down on July 17th. Darren Samuelson, senior reporter at Politico, joins us for how this will play out and the other cast of characters that Dems want to interview, all of the prosecutors that worked on Mueller's team. Next, get ready for the next big job you can do from behind a desk, truck driver. Automated freight delivery is expected to begin long before self-driving cars are here, and one company in Florida just did the first unmanned high-speed test of a heavy-duty commercial truck on a public highway. Joanne Moeller covers automated vehicles for Axios and joins us for what this test looked like and the future of freight delivery. Finally, a story about the border wall, but not the one that you're thinking of. This is the controversial crowdfunded half-mile-long wall built along the New Mexico border. The city of Sunland Park, New Mexico says the wall was illegally constructed, lacking the proper permits, and the landowner could face some jail time. Sal Hernandez, reporter for BuzzFeed News, joins us for what to know about this border wall. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. There was no collusion. There was no obstruction. There was no nothing. How many times do we have to hear it? It never ends. It just keeps going on and on. I've been going through this for two years, two and a half years. And the criminal activity was on the other side. Joining us now is Darren Samuelson, senior reporter at Politico. The special counsel, Robert Mueller, will be testifying in an open session next month before a pair of House committees, the House Judiciary Committee and the House Intelligence Committee. It's going to happen on July 17th. This is the thing that all the Democrats were hoping and wanting for. Tell us a little bit more about what we know about Robert Mueller testifying. This is definitely going to be one of the biggest hearings I've watched. And I think everyone who has been covering and following Washington politics for a long time. I mean, this is definitely one of the biggest hearings. I've been in Washington for almost 20 years now. So I I would say this is right up there at the very top. We'll be looking very closely to see whether Robert Mueller provides additional details beyond his report that he released back in April. He has said he will not go beyond the scope of that. never know in a congressional hearing when members are asking questions in rapid fire succession, what details might drip out. We know it's going to be an all day affair. I believe it's uh, I'm not sure the order yet, but I know it's going to be the House Judiciary Committee will be in the room. And then when they're finished, the House Intelligence Committee will take over. I'm actually not sure the order if it's one intelligence first and then judiciary second. But those two committees will will basically be substituting into the exact same room, but taking their turns with Robert Mueller. So you're going to have good 60, 70, 80 members of Congress. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, getting chances to ask questions. I don't know if the time limits have been set yet, but there usually are time limits for how long each member will get with the chairman, obviously getting, you know, the most amount of time for both committees. So that'll be Jerry Nadler and Doug Collins for the Republicans. And then over on the uh, Republican side, watching to see how Adam Schiff handles things and Devin Nunes and the Intelligence Committee on the Republican side handles things. What are Republicans going to be doing? What is their focus going to be during this testimony? Republicans are going to follow the script of sort of going after Mueller on the origins of the investigation, the people that he brought on to his team and the Democratic campaign contributions that they've been harping about for a long time. They'll be talking about whether or not Robert Mueller used the steel dossier to use to fuel, to chase down leads, and whether that was on the up and up. The FISA warrant process, so the surveillance that was done by the FBI. I think those are the lines of questions that are going to 
push on. I don't know if Robert Mueller is going to really engage all that much on those questions, but I think that's what the Republicans will. Maybe they're going to use their five minutes time, each one of them, to just make speeches. Lawmakers right. love to make speeches rather than actually ask questions. So <laughs> if that's the case and they do just kind of speechify, I think Mueller's just going to sit there and let them do it. And, and you know, OK, um, you know, do you have a question there, sir? And if there is no question, then, you know, we move on to the next lawmaker. Right. We've actually seen that in some of the previous hearings without Robert Mueller sitting there where, where members from both sides, especially I've seen it from the Republicans quite a bit, too. They'll speechify and there is no question. And then we just move on to the next lawmaker. Right. And Democrats, obviously, we know where they're at. They want to shift public sentiment on this whole thing and, and talk a lot about obstruction. Even the Russian collusion part, but I know they want to talk a lot about obstruction. One of the other interesting things about this is a story you wrote for Politico about Mueller's team. A lot of these people have started moving back into uh, private life. They're moving on to a lot of other law firms, but Democrats might want to be talking to them, too, especially after Robert Mueller is going to be testifying because all these other lawyers that were working with him, they were doing a lot of the footwork, too. They were interviewing a lot of the key people. And Democrats want to know what they know now. The worker bees of the Mueller team, Trump enabled them the angry Democrats. But these are some very schooled, very experienced prosecutors who come from all walks of the Justice Department's ranks over the last many decades. And Mueller used them to great effect to, you know, to prosecute Paul Manafort and Rick Gates and Michael Flynn and Roger Stone with a trial still to come. The Russian operatives, intelligence officers who actually led the 2016 data manipulation social media campaign, you know, those are charges that were brought by these people. And these are also the people who interviewed all of the Trump aides as they were building the obstruction of justice, part of the report and ultimately making the decision not to prosecute the president because of longstanding Justice Department guidelines that said you really can't indict a sitting president. So I'm talking about some names that your listeners might have heard over the course of the last two years, like Andrew Weissman, who is now back at the New York University School of Law, who's actually He's the one who just recently reportedly inked a book deal to write about his. Yeah, uh, he's going to be interesting. He's the one that by writing a book, I think he's opened himself up to being called in a little bit more so than others. You've actually heard from Democrats who say, all right, if the guy's writing a book, you know, he's got to talk to us just as much as what he's putting down in this book. And I mean, you know, what's interesting also with this hearing coming up is some of these deputies are going to be accompanying Mueller to the hearings. And Adam Schiff, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, did say that he expects to actually be interviewing some of them. He didn't name who it is, which deputies, but he expects the deputies will be with him. And, and there's going to be a closed door interview that will take place with some of them. Whether the Democrats then call them back separately later on after this July 17th Mueller hearing is sort of a to be determined question. But these are the people who definitely know where the bodies are buried and the Democrats will turn to them for not only the investigative leads, I think, but also legislative solutions, how to take everything that we learned from the Mueller investigation and actually turn it in ways to not let this happen again right. in future elections. And also the actual Mueller existed under a regulation in the Justice Department that came out of the Ken Starr era and the Bill Clinton impeachment. It's an internal Justice Department regulation that allows for these special counsels like Robert Mueller. And there's seriously been talk about, you know, what can Congress do? What can the Justice Department do to reform the way those regulations are written for future investigations? I don't know that we're ever going to experience anything quite like what just happened in the last two years, but the regulations themselves, if we do end up in a scenario similarly going forward, are we comfortable with the actual underlying Justice Department guideline that says the sitting president? Right. And presidential candidates even talk about how they would try and change that. It's all going to start on July 17th when Robert Mueller testifies. It's going to be must-watch TV. Darren Samuelson, senior reporter at Politico, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Everything is basically over the cellular network and it sends a signal to the vehicle and so-called driver can handle maneuvering the vehicle around, at least in the slower speed, smaller. Joining us now is Joanne Muller. 
editor of the Axios Autonomous Vehicles newsletter. We constantly talk about automation happening across various industries, even things such as working from home remotely. One industry that could be using both of these things might be truck driving. There is a truck driver shortage right now. Currently, we're operating at a 63,000 truck driver deficit that could go up to 175,000 by 2026. But tell us about Starsky Robotics. They just did a test of a remotely controlled truck. The freight delivery business, everyone's trying to figure out how to automate it because there is a shortage of truck drivers. Starsky is a little bit different than some of the other companies because they're looking at sort of a hybrid model where the truck would drive itself on the highway But getting on and off the highway, driving to and from the warehouse, let's say, or distribution center, it would be remote controlled. And so what's interesting is they're trying to turn truck driving into a desk job. And this test that they did, it reads like somebody sitting in front of a video game or some type of truck driving simulator. That's a good analogy, really, because from what I've seen of these remote operating workstations, you've got two or three screens in front of you that are meant to look like what you're seeing through the windshield of a big 18-wheeler. You have a steering wheel, which the ones I've seen are a lot smaller than what you probably have (laughs) seen in an 18-wheeler going down the freeway. Those wheels are gigantic. This does look more like a video game size or maybe a standard automobile. And then it will have a series of buttons and also some foot pedals similar to an accelerator and a brake. And everything is basically over the cellular network and it sends a signal to the vehicle and so-called driver can handle maneuvering the vehicle around, at least in the slower speed, smaller spots. And then once it gets on the freeway, he hits the adaptive cruise control and the lane keeping assist and off she goes. And no one in the cab. That's the crazy part. If you were driving in Florida on the day that they did this test, you you know, when you're a little kid, you want to, you know. You always want to have them honk the horn for you. Yeah, yeah. And so you try to make eye contact (laughs) with the driver. Well, this was... There was nobody sitting in the vehicle. And that was my very next question. This test was done in Florida. Do they give drivers advanced warning that this test is going to go on? Do local law enforcement know about this stuff? Certainly the local law enforcement did. Florida is a very welcoming state for testing of automated vehicles. It's one of a handful that really wants to see you know, this come to their state. So uh, Starsky Robotics has been working down there for quite a while. This test was conducted on a Sunday. There were lead vehicles and follow vehicles behind their truck just to kind of control the situation a little bit. But there were other vehicles on the road and, and other trucks that passed them. This truck was going 55 miles an hour, the speed limit, but there were certainly other trucks going past them, and it was about a 10-mile drive. So you set the stage, a person sitting behind three computer screens, they have the steering wheel, the pedals, almost like we said, it's like a simulator type thing. In all, though, the human driver operated that truck for about 2% of the total journey. So just under 0.2 miles on this thing. That's pretty interesting that it, it was able to kind of control itself all that time. 
You mentioned that it relies on cellular networks to communicate between the truck and the human driver back at uh, whatever station they're at. But that could also pose some problems, right, if that uh, if the cellular network goes down? If you think about that, I mean, sometimes you get a, a lag in your own cell phone or, you know, there's a delay in the towers, whatever. So I think this is one of the big concerns about remote control of trucks is just, you know, is, is there some latency there that could cause a safety problem. The answer that I get when I ask those questions is, well, we have backups. We have multiple networks. We're trying to cover all our bases. But right now, we don't even have 5G wireless connectivity in the United States. So that might improve once that occurs. But right now, we're on 4G. And I think there's legitimate question to ask whether this should be done. Just yet. I mean, it's an interesting look at the possible future. Uh, I'd be super curious to see a video of this. Starsky Robotics, the trucks right now are accompanied by chase vehicles in case something goes wrong. So a human driver would need to jump onto the cab to steer it if something happens. So that would be pretty well, not, amazing to see. Not at a running start. I mean, they, they, yeah. the truck is programmed to come to a stop if it's confused or has gotcha. a problem. Okay. It would gradually slow. And then a human could jump in and complete the drive. I'm imagining video I'm imagining an action movie out of this right now. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> jumping in there. But this is, Seen I mean, this, this could be on the way. And people are really thinking that this is going to happen, especially in the trucking sector, far before we get autonomous vehicles for uh, passengers. Absolutely, because I think it's relatively easy to do. Most of these trucks are just going in a straight line on the highway. And that is the kind of technology that we've already solved. There's a lot of vehicles that can now do that on the highway. They're not allowed to yet until either your state or the feds allow it. But we're getting closer and closer. It's not that hard to make a, a truck go 55 miles an hour in a straight line. Joanne Muller, editor of the Autonomous Vehicles Newsletter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Oscar. Especially recently, there were a lot of crossings out there. Before the wall went up, there was a significant, like I think it was a 600 people were apprehended in one day. So they were having dozens, sometimes hundreds of people crossing over during one day. Joining us now is Sal Hernandez, reporter for BuzzFeed News. We're going to be talking about the border wall, but not the border wall that you think. This was the border wall that was built on private land in conjunction with a group called We Build the Wall, run by a man named Brian Colfage. This wall was built in Sunland Park, New Mexico, and now city officials are saying that the wall was built illegally and the landowner could face jail time, although not that much, but there's still a possibility there. Tell us a little bit about this border wall in particular. Brian Colfage, he started a GoFundMe effort to raise money for a privately funded wall. He raised more than $23 million in that effort, and eventually he ended up launching it and uh, secretly started building the wall out in Sunland Park in private property that's owned by this company named American Eagle Brick Company. The wall went out, was built up pretty quickly, actually. It was built up during the Memorial Day weekend. They were almost done within the last three days, but right from the beginning, they've had a lot of trouble with the city because the city alleges that they haven't taken out the right permits and also with the International Boundary and Water Commission because they, their gate built into federal land and there too, the commissioner is saying they didn't get the right permits to build it. So the wall is up, it's built, it's got the, their lights and everything going on, but they're still in legal limbo because of that. So this wall right here is half mile 
long. As we said, most of it is built on private land. So to that extent, there really isn't a problem with that part. Obviously, there were some permitting issues, but to that extent, there isn't that much of a problem there. It is really this gate that was built onto a portion of federal land. And as you were saying, uh, you know, the International Boundary and Water Commission, they are responsible for managing some type of things on the other side of it. There's also a monument that the public could get to. So they're forced actually to leave this gate open right now as things kind of stand. Because of that issue with the permits with the IBWC, the agency actually orders them to have that gate permanently opened, at least during the day, during business hours. They can shut it down during the day and lock it, but for the moment being, that gate has to be um, open. And that was actually one of the areas where you had a lot of migrants crossing over, too. And that was my next question. So where exactly is this on the border? How far is it away from the actual borderline? And what's on the other sides of this thing? Is this really a popular crossing for migrants? Someone parked in Mexico. This is an area where it's literally like a stone throws away from El Paso. It's this community where you really, you know, you can drive right into El Paso. You don't know if you're in El Paso or in Sunland Park because everything's so close. And Sunland Park is this tiny little town that is actually south of the Rio Grande. And that wall is built in the city boundary. But it, it like I said, from the private land, it goes up a pretty steep hill. And that area, there was no border wall because the steep hills, basically very, very short mountains. They're very hard to cross. So it was considered a, a natural uh, barrier. It's right across from Juarez, Mexico, but there was significant traffic. And especially recently, there were a lot of crossings out there. Before the wall went up, there was a significant, like I think it was a 600 people were apprehended in one day. So they were having dozens, sometimes hundreds of people crossing over during one day. And that's part of the reason that kind of drew the attention of, at first, actually militias, and a couple of weeks later, it was uh, we built a wall that cut. Yeah, they, they went viral with their GoFundMe effort. Um, so right, exactly. Customs and Border Protection has said that this project obviously is not connected to any of their efforts, and you know that it has nothing to do with their border security operations. That's why this particular spot was not prioritized. Um, so I, I, really, the landowner is at uh, fault here for a lot of permitting issues. And uh, there's, a, like I said, there's a possibility of a $500 fine, 90 days in jail is kind of a slap on the wrist. Uh, the last question I have about all this stuff is tell us a little bit about Brian Colfage, who's started the GoFundMe page, because he has a, a crazy history in and of himself. Yeah. So Brian Colfage, he's an Iraq war veteran. He's um, actually a triple amputee. And when he returned from war, uh, he, he, he did get a lot of attention in the media and after that, he started actually a lot of Facebook, social media, and websites that, from what we found, peddled a lot in fake news and a lot of conspiracy theories. He, uh, most of those pages were actually shut down by, by Facebook and Twitter, but that was actually uh, several, like, that was after a lot of time that were those sites and, and, and social media pages were peddling a lot of fake information out there and, um, you know, that's still actually happening. So, you know, he has, we built the wall and he's, he's pushing for that effort very hard, but at the same time, him and his organization, they're still peddling some, you know, fake news and false stories. Recently they were, you know, claiming that there had been a dozen people at the border who were apprehended with the Ebola virus, which was obviously false, but that's kind of been his MO for, for a couple of years at this point. Yeah. It's just such an interesting, interesting story, obviously a supporter of the president and his effort to, uh, to build more border wall there. And uh, as we said, you know, this GoFundMe just kind of went viral and it, it took on a life of its own, raising $23 million. 
Um, uh, so here we are now with uh, seeing what's going to happen with the landowner. So it's a little story that uh, just keeps on going. Sal Hernandez, reporter for BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Appreciate it, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.